everybody, welcome to another episode of Football Asides. I'm your host, Glo, and joining me on the other end of the line is my co-host, Dan. Dan, how are you doing today? Doing great, thank you. Such a treat, been watching some Bundesliga lately, so that's been a lot of fun. That's lovely. Yeah, it's been very nice to have actual live football that I don't, I can't just Google what the outcome is. So that's been a really nice change of face. Completely uh, agree. Yeah, exactly. How much were you excited? Just as excited on the first weekend as the second? Oh, for sure. Like uh, I, I live in the Pacific uh, Standard Time Zone, so my weekend mornings often are you know watching football, having breakfast. That's pretty standard in my household. So. Just being able to, to start those weekends off again like that has been such a treat. Uh, speaking of treats, though, the best part of the return of uh, top flight football, I should say. There has been some football, the Romanian League and the K-League, uh, but top five uh, league football has been uh, the German word Geisterspiel. I apologize, my German is non-existent, but okay, it means... It means ghost games, so instead of um, games behind closed doors, that's just really what their time for it is, and I think it captures the spirit of what's going on more than any other term I've had before. So I've been enjoying it. That's great. So you've you've been able to watch too on the weekends? Uh, Yes. So I have a very... (laughs) I have this app that is a football app that is absolutely synced to my calendar. So all the games are just like (laughs) popping up back and back to back. And I just like sit in different places in my house and watch the games. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which app is that? Uh, I use FootMob. Yeah, me too. Which I absolutely love. Yeah. That's like my go-to. And uh, the Norwegians, of course, put that app together and... They always, whatever they touch, eh, it turns to solid gold. Yeah, I would say, at least in this particular incident, stellar work. I absolutely love it. Yeah. Never gone back. I think I've had it for almost four years now, and it's been fantastic. Yeah. Probably more than four years, I should say. Speaking of Norwegians, I mean, Holland scored again. He, I, see, I keep waiting for him to regress to the mean, you know, because you're like, oh, yeah, like, <laughs> this makes sense, blah, 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 blah. But, like, but statistics, you have Amazing. to eventually regress to the mean. I know, right? And he's just like, no. Glow, he's not the real it. deal. He's the real deal. I mean, if he keeps at it, and I just <laughs> enjoy how much of a teenager, a moody teenager he is yeah, in his exactly. interviews, just absolutely cannot be bothered after a certain point, which can rob people the wrong way but i find it very entertaining just like he doesn't want he's he's over this yeah so what's impressed you so far like what what have you seen that uh, really caught your eye yeah so obviously we can't go through all the games but i think on the whole i've been very impressed by the quality of football even without fans mm-hmm. knowing how much time they've had out really like only recently starting to train as a full team, but before only had small-sided training sessions. Mm-hmm, totally. I really did es- expect a dramatic drop in quality, and I've been pleasantly surprised. I had like a really good time watching the tournament game earlier this weekend. That was really lovely, and Leipzig is just a machine that totally. was just quite really great to watch. Ah. <sighs> You know, awesome. Berlin yeah. was, was a bit disappointed in that. I wanted them <laughs> to do well. Yeah. Do you have a bit of a soft spot for Union Berlin? I, I really do. I think <laughs> I have absolutely, of all the places I've been to Germany, which is 
truly three, so really not much to speak of. But uh, Berlin has like a very soft spot in my heart. So, and I like the story of the club. There's Mm -hmm. a certain like romance to it that I'm drawn to. I I heard uh, one one group of fans talking about this particular competition and how they invited all their supporters to come watch the competition live in their stadium. And the, the, but the rule was you had to bring your own couch. And so they had just like thousands of supporters on the pitch with their couches. So like you said, there's quite a unique uh, culture there. It sounds like in a wonderful, wonderful following. Yeah, I think it, it is truly one of the last like top flight teams that has such a deep connection to its local fans. Mm-hmm. And they seem to be just as involved in every step of their way. And I think that is something that is going away. It's at least, yeah, it's less and less frequent. So I adore that. Yeah, for sure. What, you, what have you found most impressive in the you Bundesliga's don't... return? Totally. Two things. Um, I will admit, I know a lot of German fans won't like me for this, but I, I am a bit of a Leipzig fan because of uh, Emil Forsberg. I've been a huge fan of his uh, for a couple of years now. Um, and watching Leipzig, and I've just been so impressed with their youth. I was looking at it, and they had only three players on that starting lineup that were above the age of 24. And that includes the goalkeeper, who's 30. And realistically, goalkeepers, I mean, that's kind of like their prime age anyway, right? So it's just such a, an example of the youth in this league and the, the importance that they place on developing their talent, which I, I so appreciate. And, uh, you know, it's great to see, obviously, players like Alfonso Davies, of course, one of our uh, Canadian hopefuls here, getting playing time. And, and you see a lot of youth. I, I'm so impressed with how many American players are playing in the Bundesliga right now as well. A lot of them are getting playing time. So yeah, Gio Reyna finally got some minutes after being injured yeah. uh, during the fast uh, return for the yeah. Riviera Derby earlier. So he's finally getting some minutes. Totally. Been loving seeing, I do absolutely adore Alfonso Davies and watching him combine with more this weekend. Was <laughs> yeah. Quite great. He had a really good game. Goal and assist. Yeah. Player of the game. And so like I said, just, it's just refreshing to watch this league. I think that generally, you know, obviously watching EPL, I'm always nervous because my FPL team and all this, but watching the Bundesliga for its pure quality and its youthful talent has just been awesome. So Leipzig with their 5-0 victory with all their youth was impressive. And then the other thing was uh, shout out to Rafael Guerrero. You know, there's a lot of talent in this Dortmund side. A lot of highlights are, are obviously Jaden Sancho, whole Londoner signing. But here's Guerrero. Uh, three goals in two matches right off the the bounce, you know, from this long layover. And to see a guy who's as one-footed as Guerrero, did you see his goal with the outside (laughs) left foot there? I mean, he's, it's like in his right foot stride and he bends his body, contorts it, and still manages to tuck it in the corner like that. I was so impressed with the outside of his left boot. But uh, again, just, just credit to him. I know he came on the world stage there for Portugal. Yeah, years ago and they signed him and he's just really uh, an awesome talent as well that needs to be given credit yeah for sure absolutely and what I've so what are you what are you thinking luckily the top three won again this weekend so mm-hmm. I mean Bayern is still uh, maintaining their four point lead but at the very least it does seem like we might have some sort of title challenge yes so they're not running away quite like Liverpool is running over the title in England. What mm-hmm. do you think about um, the Dortmund-Bayern game? 
tomorrow. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Time of recording. For sure. It's going to be interesting, isn't it? Um, Do you have a score prediction? Score prediction, hey. Uh, You know what? I'm going to say it's going to be like 2-1 Bayern. Uh, I do think Dortmund will score, even though Neuer, I know, just signed his new contract and he's pretty pretty happy with his with his uh, new signing or his new contract but i think that they will score they have just so much offensive firepower but i think that the the byron machine will just overcome mm, okay what, i'm gonna what do, do you i'm gonna go three to borussia really this might be a bit more based in hope than it is <laughs> and uh, just like looking the team head to head because yeah. uh, really Bayern did not appear to have lost a step, but also Dortmund really does seem to be a bit more confident. So yes. I really think they have an opportunity to take it to Bayern mm-hmm. and yeah, let's see how it goes. So we'll see which, or if not both of us, how wrong we are next week. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's going to be interesting too. Cause uh, I think they. I think Dortmund seem to have rested a few more of their heavy. I mean, Jaden Sancho came off the bench, so yeah, for the last two games, yeah, yeah, which was interesting because Bayern conversely appeared to. I mean, Lewandowski played like the full ninety in both. I think. Yeah, Lewandowski. We should never use him as an example for what the standard footballer does because he just seems to have like an engine, an engine, and a backup engine to the backup engine. As he said, hey, so he was asked, "How come you don't win Ballon d'Ors? How come you know? How come you're not?" considered the best player in the world and he's like you know thank you so much for for the credit i i do appreciate it but at the end of the day i'm polish <laughs> he's like poles don't win awards so it was it, it, he is just incredible 45 goals now club and country this year yeah impressive. it's very impressive so we'll see how far he can take this record uh, the other football that's been going on, though, is the Korean League. And as our listeners who had last pod would know, we selected two Korean, uh, two teams from the Korean League for us to follow and sort of get immersed into a new footballing culture that we previously didn't really have access to. And so my team, FC Seoul, who are uh, near the bottom, though I think, yeah, truly near the bottom last week, have won two on the bounce. Uh, and the le- the latest game, they did defeat uh, Pohang Steelers 2-1. to one. So we're doing quite well. However... That's, that's great. <laughs> however, as you saw, we're also uh, <laughs> being fined $81,000. Oh, this is too good. For, uh, you know replacing supporters or where supporters would be with sex dolls <laughs> so <laughs> i'm not sure if this is net zero i don't really know where this checks out to be but yeah so that's what, what's been happening with fc Seoul. yeah if you haven't seen this story uh you know those who are listening you got to look it up it's 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 pretty funny i mean these they had they claim they didn't know but they realized that the you know the company they bought these supposed what was it what was what was the company saying they called them exotic dolls or no premium dolls or like mannequins they said they also make sex dolls but this was not what they were given (laughs) although i just don't quite know how you miss that the company also does that but yeah anyway so so this is where you are how's uh how's your team doing yeah so the suan blue wings uh finally won their first match so they've played three matches and got their first win uh, they are in eighth place, so they're two places outside of the champ- championship playoff. So for those who don't lo- know, the K-League is structured where the top six have a playoff uh, at the end of the season for, for the ultimate uh, title. 
So it's a 12-team league, and we're currently in eighth. But uh, getting back in there, and I'm happy to see that Doniel Henry has started all three matches. So that's great for him. Amazing. Yeah, so... I mean, it's been good to pick up a new team, so I'm actually quite excited to see how me and FC Seoul fare this season. And yeah. with that, uh, we'll take a quick break and come back with a special guest and a conversation about Turkish football. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Football Sides. We're excited today to have our guest, Josh Selchuk, here on the show. Uh, Josh, how are you doing today? I'm very good, thanks. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me on. Uh, great to have you. So, Josh, we met about a year ago when you moved over across the pond, hey, and joined us here in Canada. Yeah, exactly. I think how- I've been in Canada almost uh, about two years now. Nicely done. So, how's life been in CONCACAF region for you? <laughs> It's been interesting, been a night eye opener for sure. Yeah, um, some some pleasant surprises and some uh, unfortunate surprises. No doubt. Well, I'm sure. Well, which one would I be, pleasant or unfortunate? Uh, as a new, as a Sunderland fan, and well, a Newcastle fan. As a Sunderland fan, I think you're definitely an unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, heck, well, we you know slowly we we can maybe turn the tide of that war. Hey, I think so. I think we're slowly getting there, bit by bit. Well, it's great to have you, Josh. Again, uh, thanks for coming on. We're excited to talk today about Turkish football. Um, we're excited also to talk about, you know, just your background, uh, your family background, how you got into it yourself. And we were discussing earlier how there just isn't enough um, media coverage, I would say, certainly in the English realm, uh, on the Turkish league and the Turkish football in general. So, yeah, how, tell us about it. How did you get into it? You know, how, who's your club and, and why is this such an important uh, league for you to follow? Yeah, well, uh, I guess as with as is the case with most football uh, follower stories, um, I didn't really have much choice but to get into it. My uh, <laughs> my my dad is Turkish, and uh, I was actually born in Turkey too. Um, okay, but it's funny. I always say that Turkey is genuinely the most passionate football country in the world. Yeah, um, it doesn't matter where you go or who you're talking to, or whether you're in the middle of nowhere talking to a 94 year old illiterate woman who's never had access to the internet in her life. You know, <laughs> football always comes up in conversation. Um, so I was kind of yeah, f- for as long as I can remember, um, football's been a big part of my life, and uh, you know, my dad and my my Turkish family and the network system have had that ingrained into me uh, from mm-hmm. the start. Um, it's funny, you know, whenever I meet anyone new in Turkey, um, the first question they usually ask is, you know, where are you from? Mm-hmm. And again, it doesn't matter who you speak into. The second question is always, who do you support? Who's you your know, team, right? Who's yeah. your team? Um, <laughs> and, that, and that's the part that makes or breaks the, the potential relationship? Completely, yeah, completely. <laughs> um, it is a very good way to weed out people, you know? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I mean, my club is of course uh, Newcastle United. You know, I'm, I'm a, a Newcastle fan from birth, but uh, my dad's club is uh, is Fenerbahce, um, yeah. who are, are one of the biggest teams in Turkey and certainly one of the most well supported. Um, so of course, I follow them them very closely as well. Um, but I am a big fan of the Super League in in general, the Turkish Football League, and uh, and the national team as well. Mm-hmm. Do you feel Do you feel like you've had a big uh, Turkish uh, Super League community whilst living outside Turkey to enjoy the Super League with? No, I, w- I wouldn't say so. Um, I watched the majority of, of Fenerbahce's games and the, the Super League games uh, on my own or, or occasionally with one or two friends. Um, there's not a, a huge 
demand for it, which upsets me a bit because it's such a crazy and exciting mm-hmm. and entertaining league. And um, yeah, it's, I, I always go back to my friends and say, you'll never guess what happened in this game. Or, mm-hmm. you, you know, there was five <laughs> red cards in this game. and it was- <laughs> I did hear about that one, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. a regular occurrence. You sent, I think, Josh, you anyone. sent me the highlights for that. You're like, Dan, you got to check this out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely crazy. Just wild. Yeah. Yeah, do you, so it's crazy that you said it doesn't have as big of a market, which um, it is the seventh wealthiest league in Europe, last I checked. Mm-hmm. And they've seen so much investment and commercialization in the last uh, 10 to 20 years. Do you think, have you noticed any such changes? Yes, um, but I think particularly the, the impression of the Super League in, in England is that it's the place where you know, the, the has-beens and the players who are, are mm-hmm. well past their best go to retire. Um, you know, they go for one final paycheck, much like the Chinese league as well, yeah. um, which, again, or disappoints. Or too, I'm sure. Well, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and whilst a lot of those, you know, past-it players do end up going there, um, there's a lot of very exciting young players and, and non-Turkish players who, who make their way over to the league as well. Um, and... These are clubs with, you know, a, a significant history. Um, it's a it's a very old league. It was actually founded before the creation of of Turkey as a country itself. Is that right? Whilst it was still the Ottoman Empire. What? When was this? When was the founding year? Of Turkey? Uh, well, both, I should say. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not 100 percent sure on the on the Super League. I mean, Fenerbahce was founded in 1907. Amazing. And oh. and Turkey wasn't founded until 1923. Um, you know, following the culmination of the the First World War and the course, uh, yeah. the, the seceding of the Ottoman Empire and blah blah blah. <laughs> so you have all these clubs already pre-existing, yeah, and all this history. It's fast. I mean, of course, Turkey itself, Istanbul, whatnot. These these this is an ancient uh, region. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's funny, Josh, because uh, before I met you, like my only connection to the Turkish league was, you know, following certain players that I loved uh, as they, like you said, made their way over to the to the Super League. I'm a huge fan of Atiba Hutchinson, who's made a Absolutely. home for himself there uh, at the at Besiktas. Mm-hmm. And um, I should say, like, there was actually a, a lovely little special put together by him. And the way he spoke about your country and the way he spoke about the fan support... He, he truly, like, you could see it in his eyes. He's like, I, there's nowhere else in the world I want to play. Yeah. And and it was it was really quite moving, I, I should be honest, to how he spoke so fondly about not just, his, this is his employment, right? This is his job. But the, he was raising his family there. He was, um, you know, this, this foreigner who had come and just found a, a real home for himself there. So why is it that these these players, these 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 icons, you know, from other countries come and just fall in love with, with Turkey and, and, the, and the league there? I mean, that's a, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, it's, I think every player would have a different input and, and quite honestly, you put in as much as you, as you hope to get out, you've, you've got to, it's got to be reciprocated from that point of view. But, uh, Turkey's definitely a hidden gem from, you know, the point of, of, of a lot of Western media, mm-hmm. um, for the people who don't quite know enough about it. Who then arrive at this incredible, incredibly welcoming and uh, and hospitable country with amazing views and beaches and the food, the and- cuisine. Oh my oh, god! The food. Oh god! The food. <laughs> there's, a, there's a Turkish restaurant in my hometown that uh, I I would go to frequently, 
and uh yeah i always would ch- chat with them about the, the super league just for fun see see what the updates mm-hmm. were absolutely yeah. but i mean someone like atiba who's uh you know he's been with Besiktas for a long time now i think he's still going at the age of 37 i think yeah still going um yeah. Is, he, it, is he the captain now he is yeah and his nickname Amazing. in turkey is the octopus no um, way. <laughs> yeah and he's he's you know because when he's on the field he's he's everywhere he has a a hand in everything you know he's he's starting the attacks he's back there defending he's winning the corners he's um keeping everyone going he's picking up the the guys from the floor and um he gave everything to you know to his club mm-hmm. and the fans absolutely feed off that if they see you as a player not giving it um they'll let you know more so more so than than a lot of other places um for for sure yeah so if you're uh you know um somebody who was who was inclined to just take it easy and see if you could get an easy ride interesting um then the fans won't appreciate that um they don't care if you think that this isn't a um you know a, a worthy club in 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 your eyes or hmm. or a, a bit beneath you mm-hmm. to an extent um they want to see that you're uh, you're putting it in because to them this is life and death this is everything this is everything that they live for and that's why that's, awesome, that's why we love the game and w- other icons have come over of course we've seen the likes of Didier Drogba Wesley Schneider Van Persie's come over yep. Samuel Eto'o, he didn't he play for a Turkish club for a bit yeah, there yeah he was at Antalya Sport and he actually became player manager no way yeah he did um, so have to, have, have a lot success. of these players embraced it just like Atiba did or have there been some that have just been flame outs and yeah. perhaps even the most recent one was uh, Falcao's big, big welcome to Galatasaray. How's that faring? Yeah, um, there's absolutely been quite a few players who just are not in it for uh, for the right reasons. I mean, the okay. most prominent one that comes to mind is Samir Nasri. Yeah. He actually went and joined the same club as Eto, um, which is actually my dad's home hometown, home city, Antalya. Um, Antalya Spor. And uh, yeah, he... he was hounded out by the fans basically he wasn't in it from the start it became very clear and uh and you know he left pretty quickly um, Interesting. because you, you you're not going to survive too long in they don't care what your history is what your background is um they just want you to give it all for their club hmm. um but with Falcao at Galatasaray um he, again he came in as a huge icon much like you know Drogba had and, and Schneider and at Fenerbahce at Van Persie and Nani as you said and um you know, at Besiktas, we've had um, Demba and Mario Gomez and Koreshma, mm-hmm. and you know, that's the list goes Gomez on for, yeah, for each right. team. Yeah, and isn't uh, Demba Ba? He's up there on the scoring charts this year. He's no? he's he's still there. Um, <laughs> that guy, legend. Eh? I'm not sure if you remember Papi Sisse as of well course. from Newcastle. He's actually the second top scorer. Currently. Oh, you're kidding! But yeah, no he's way. still going. Yeah, um, still which one again, of the best goals of all time. That guy, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. But. Uh, um, it's those kind of um, news stories that perhaps degrade the Turkish league a little bit because, in my opinion, you know, I go back to my English mates and I'm like, especially the Newcastle fans, and uh, and I'm like, Papi Sisse is the second top scorer in the league. You know, he's still going. He's still he's playing really well um, for a, a yeah, team so in an 16 environment. Sixteen goals here. Wow. Yeah, um, but at the same time, you know, my, my mates will come back and say, well, that just shows, you know, the the quality of the league is is nowhere near a good enough mm-hmm. standard if a, a 35-year-old Papi Cissé can still keep going. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and 
that's not the reality, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, I'm a huge fan of the Europa League, and I've had so much fun watching. Uh, the reason why I like the Europa League because I find its standard, obviously, is, is superb, but it's also not just dominated by the money rich country or teams like PSG or something, right? So you have such a, a great group of matches in each competition and watching some of the Turkish teams progress through watching them obviously in the champions league as well. Um, some tidy football that they play. Yeah. Um, I mean, we could talk about a, a, a much wider story of the recent rise out of nowhere of, of, a small club called Istanbul Başakşehir. here. Oh, I really want to talk about it. Is this the one, from my knowledge, that was backed by the President Erdogan's party? Absolutely, yeah. I think they even named the stadium after Erdogan, which uh, shows how much you know football has tied into the politics of this club, um, or, or football has tied into the politics of the nation more so. And, uh, and this club are kind of, in a way, like... Like the RB Leipzig of of Turkey, Interesting. Um, without a big club coming in, it's more the government, and um, they've done everything right. They've made some fantastic acquisitions and signings. Emmanuel um, Adebayor, right? Well, and and you know the the lesser known players. I mean, there's a guy called Edin Vischer. He's a, a Bosnian right winger, um, and he's an absolutely superb player. He could, he he was one of the top. Uh, for the FIFA fans out there, he was a big pick in the FIFA Ultimate Team. <laughs> I remember him. He was a budget a budget player from Bosnia, but you could like tear teams apart with him. Yeah, he's a, a fantastic player, and he's again he's loved at Basaksehir. But I mean, this again in a in a country where everybody is so football mad, and the the noise and the atmosphere and the attendances are, are crazy week in week out. Um, Basaksehir are a club who in the top division of Turkish football and even at European games will regularly have under 10 away fans. Um, You're kidding. Yeah, they're they're not what? well supported at all. That's bizarre. That is, uh, th- I find that absolutely so strange. Yeah. Why is that? Because they, they kind of, you know, when in a world where we have all of these historical giants, um, the big three in Turkey specifically are Fenerbahce, Besiktas and Galatasaray. Um, we have this club who kind of came out of nowhere in the past decade who, um, you know, were doing everything right slowly but didn't have any chance to, to build up that fan base. I mean, if you're from Istanbul, you're most likely going to support one of those three big teams or, or even the, the various other teams as well who are, are also from the, the region. Um, and, you know... Loyalty is a very big thing in Turkey as well, so mm-hmm. um, they haven't really had the chance to to gain that new demographic, those those new fans. That's so interesting. So yeah. I do want to ask you about because I it's my understanding that uh, Erdogan, the president, is a a huge influential figure for in not just in politics but also in football. He is as many many of us football mad, and I understand he is a big Fenerbahce fan. But so I find it a bit surprising that when he came to really putting his political muscle and money, he backed a new team as opposed as opposed to trying to gain more influence with his preferred team. Yeah, um, I think it's a bit of a cliche to be honest, and it, it gets bandied around a lot. But football genuinely is like a religion in Turkey, mm-hmm. and and people associate with their teams very. Um, 
you know, very seriously. They they take everything to a to um, sincere depth uh, with their uh, their loyalty and their passion for their club. And as a politician, to attach yourself to any club, really, um, particularly one of the big three, can can be quite a risky move. Um, so if he was to come out publicly and announce his support for Fenerbahce, he can't hide it. He can't deny it and say, you know, yes, I, I did support them. I, I did follow them as a child. Um, but if he was to come out during a political campaign and say, you know, I'm a big Fenerbahce fan, then there's a very good chance he wouldn't receive the votes um, of a lot of Galatasaray and, and Besiktas fans who are absolutely despise Fenerbahce. Um, and uh, this, you know, new government back club um to an extent has has arisen in recent years and Erdogan was keen to to attach his name to that but he's definitely a, a political figure who has um made football and, and sport in particular a big part of his uh, of his political campaigns and and something that he wants you know Turkey to improve on and to be proud of and to embrace what do we make of his uh, of the narrative that he was on the transfer list for Fenerbahce, perhaps back in like 1977? <laughs> was he ever that good? <laughs> I'm not sure, but he. I mean, the only thing I've seen of him was when he he actually made an appearance um, in like a more of like a charity game um, a few years ago. And no way. He he, he 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 actually wasn't wasn't bad. He was quite good, <laughs> um, considering his age and his expected ability. Um, I don't know, maybe some of the other players were looking at him and saying, you know, this guy is uh, the president of the country, so maybe yeah. I should go easy on him. But uh, yeah, he wasn't bad at all. That's so interesting. I'm not sure he could have made it as a professional, though. Can you comment at all, Josh, on his relationship to Mesut Ozil? So we've seen, obviously, Mesut be you know vocal about his support of him. Um, and I think that's, for whatever reason, uh, got him into trouble with his, with his club from time to time. And of course, uh, we saw him make his decision with the German national team to actually cease playing for them over their lack of support for him. So can you comment on that? Do you know much about it? It's a it's a little bit of a bizarre relationship, to be honest. Um, they definitely have a very close friendship. And I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Erdogan, the president of Turkey, was actually best man at Mesut Özil's wedding. Um, which is, I think yeah. I've heard this actually. Yes, <laughs> so, I absolutely missed this, and these yes. are the kind of stories that I live for. Yeah, um, I think I, you know they. I don't think they knew each other um, outside of football. I think uh, you know they they'd only met at a. I, I think it was the 2010 World Cup, um, and you know Turkey weren't there, and Turkey likes to attach themselves to their, um, you know their 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 heroes. Um, outside of, of the the homeland, the motherland, I guess. And, um, you know, Erdogan and, and Ozil and, and a few other players as well, Gundogan as well from, from Man City, yeah. mm-hmm. um, have also kind of become good friends. And, and Cenk Tosun, who is a German Turk, but actually plays for Turkey. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's currently at Crystal Palace. Unknown um, from Everton, right? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know too much about the, the history of the relationship, but it's, it's certainly... Um, genuine um whether there are you know other political motives attached as i'm as mm-hmm. i'm sure there are I'm, I'm not sure what the connotations of those would be but sure. yeah um it's just another bizarre branch of the the turkish football tree that's very interesting as you mentioned uh the, uh the president erdogan is really has made sport and 
all this a uh, bit central to his political agenda. It's part of who he was. So I was noticing the other day that actually about 20% of the Turkish economy has come from construction and its affiliated industries. And that's, this is why we've seen so much growth in stadiums, state building of stadia across the country. Mm-hmm. Do you have any inkling on how this development is received by the populace and the clubs? Overall, quite well. Um, but I mean, Turkey is a, a very complex country with a lot of underlying issues and, and unfortunately still certain um, high levels of poverty in, in certain areas. And, uh, and a lot of the view from the locals are, well, why the hell are you spending you know, more money on hmm. building a stadium, which you won't be able to fill, in all honesty, because mm-hmm. there's um, a lot of people just quite simply don't have the disposable income to be able to attend these football matches mm-hmm. um, in, in some of the smaller cities and locations. And, uh, and they're saying, you know, you could put it towards building a hospital um, and they have a similar attitude with, uh, again, something I don't really want to go too much into with with regard to Erdogan's political beliefs. Um, but there's a saying in Turkey that, uh, you know, when when it comes down to his spending and uh, his economic policies, um, instead of building more hospitals and schools, he builds mosques and stadiums. Interesting. This reminds me a little bit of the World Cup in South Africa. And now we see those stadiums vacant. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely say it's it's similar, and I mean Turkey bids I think every single time to to host the European Championships, and they should have had it in Euro twenty twenty. They should have been going to Turkey, hmm. um, but at the last minute, UEFA decided that Turkey couldn't bid for the Olympics and the Euros in the same year, and so Turkey had to make a choice of which one to bid for. They they had the European Championships, you know, sewn up. Every other country had pulled out, and that's why we ended up with this bizarre solution where. Uh, you know, it's going to be hosted in, I think, 12 different countries. Um, and Turkey decided, and, and Erdogan decided to, to bid for the uh, the Olympics instead, which ultimately went to Tokyo. So Turkey were in a position where they had a guaranteed, you know, hostship of the, the European Championships and it went to, and they lost out on it. <laughs> mm-hmm. As far as you know, they're going to bid for the next, I assume, yeah? Yeah, they bid for 2024 and just lost out to Germany. Um, so I assume they'll they'll be at it again for mm-hmm. for 2028. They have the infrastructure. Um, they just kind of need to overcome those those um, public perception barriers where a lot of people are still unsure whether it's safe to travel and a safe place to be. And and uh, and I think Turkey is slowly overcoming those those perceptions. Speaking of international competitions, I remember as a young lad just being mesmerized by the team that finished third at the South Korean and Japan World Cup and, you know, watching Hakan Shukar, Ilhan Mansis, these -hmm. players. Is this still one of the all-time greatest uh, international achievements for Turkey? Absolutely. Yeah. Again, in a a country where it, and it's crazy because Turkey really haven't had um, a historically very good football team. I mean, I think one of the most famous things in England uh, regarding Turkish football is the fact that um, England beat them eight eight nil, I think, um, in the uh, in the eighties, and uh, you know, for a team who had never really accomplished anything, they'd only qualified for one World Cup prior to two thousand and two, um, to to suddenly be on the big stage, defy all the odds, and finish third. Um, the country absolutely erupted. I mean, I I was a a young lad at the time, and I was actually in Turkey um, when. 
they lost the semi-final to Brazil. Okay. And I was sat on my, my grandma's balcony in the heart of the city of Antalya, and there was just people streaming into the streets. The The noise was exceptional. Everyone was in their cars and waving flags, and it was like nothing I'd ever seen before and still nothing like I've ever seen to this day. And I kept asking my dad. I was so confused because Turkey had lost the game. They'd lost to Brazil, and they were they were mm. you know um, they were out of the semi final, and they and they weren't going to make it to the final. And the people were so proud that this had put Turkey on the world map. That you know Turkey was going to be known for for something good and Turkish football, which means so much to so many people, mm-hmm. had had finally you know made it in their view. And uh, and it was there was something similar happened as well in Euro two thousand and eight where um, I was a you know a bit older at that point and able to appreciate a lot more the the significance and the the uh, the unlikeliness of of what had been achieved and um, that again plucky little Turkey had had made it to the world stage. That's fantastic. I mean, well, you say plucky little. It's 82 million people, Jared Josh. Well, exactly. <laughs> it's like over twice as many people as my own country. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's the point. Turkey, for a, for a nation full of football-mad people, and it really, really is, um, they never produced <laughs> particularly yeah. good players until until quite recently, to that's be honest. your point. Like, it's disproportionate, hey? Which yeah, is absolutely. Because of how popular the sport is, yet they don't turn out the quality players that they should yeah and a lot of that's in again you know due to deeper underlying factors like the uh the actual footballing infrastructure of the country um there's not a lot of of areas to go and train and to actually play football um a lot of people don't have the access or the disposable income to be able to to get their kids into it um properly and then uh the coaching system is a little bit far-fetched as well and this all harps back to the the view at the top of, of Turkish football with these Super League clubs who um, have both impatient owners, impatient uh, chairman and impatient fans um, who want to see immediate success. And this is why we see such an influx of, of foreign superstars who are, uh, you know, quite often brought in on, on awful financial contra- contracts for the club um, at the expense of, of developing local talent. So how would you say uh, the local development system is set up and what would you think what do you think accounts for the recent successes in producing talent out of Taki? Yeah, like I said in in, in all honesty, um, I'd say the the development system is still pretty poor. Um, I mean every generation is going to produce one or two anomalies. I mean uh, recently we had Arda Turan um, who was a big success at, at Atletico Madrid and actually got a move to Barcelona. Um, before him, we had uh, Emre Belazolu and Hakan Shukur and Tugay Kerimolu, um, who were, you know, uh, at, at some big European clubs as well, and and were actually produced in Turkey. Um, but the, I mean, it's very rare that you see an academy player make it through to to the first team in, in Turkey. Um, but there is one club that's trying to change that, and uh, it's something I'm, I'm very keen to talk about. Yes, tell us about this club. We mentioned it earlier. Yeah, uh, it's a they're they're called Altenordu, and they're in the second division of of the Turkish league, and they're actually, you know, kind of the uh, the Turkish version of Athletic Bilbao in Spain. 
Um, oh. And their their attitude to to transfers and to develop to player development is that they will only um, field Turkish players. Um, they will not sign any foreign players. Like across the line, they just will not. They will not, absolutely. Wow. So Athletic Bilbao, I believe, only signed Basque players or players yeah. with Basque heritage. And yes. uh, it's the same with Alton Ordu now. Their president was famously quoted as saying, even if Messi offered to play for free, I wouldn't sign him. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. The president of the club. The president of the club. Wow. And and he's instilled this incredible foundation, um, which is, in my opinion, absolutely the right way to, to develop Turkish football, where he said, you know, we want to develop these players um, from a young age as not only good players, but as good people. Um, we want them to have the correct uh, foundations instilled and into them and, and the, the right beliefs um, uh, along that line as well. And uh, and it's already seen um, some some early success. I mean, the likes of Charles Soinger, who's at Leicester, and, and I've rec- I believe he recently just made it into the Premier League team of the season. Um, he came from Altenordu, and uh, so that, did, did, they, did they sign him directly from them? No, he actually went straight to Freiburg. Oh, he so went to with, Freiburg, okay. yeah, without actually playing in the the Turkish top division. Um, and Altenordu have also produced Cengiz Under, who's at uh, at Roma these days, and uh, again is another uh, fantastic player, very exciting, promising player. And and these players have been developed with the right mentalities, the right mindset. And, you know, they're very humble off the pitch. They're not these flashy young footballers who are given a lot of money, as is the case with some other young Turkish promising talents who have not turned out the way that we'd hoped for a, a variety of reasons. Um, but, you know, they're, uh, they, they've fast developed a, a, a big place in my heart because they're really trying to do things the right way. Um, they're from a big city as well, uh, the third biggest city in Turkey, Izmir, and um, you know they have a chance to garner this support, but it's it's risky, and they've really struggled to get out of the Turkish second division. They keep kind of finishing just outside of the playoffs. Um, Interesting. Yeah, and and so they they've not quite made it to the top league, where I think they would start to get mass attention from that point of view where are they in the second division right now it's called is it called the tff second league yeah it is yeah and so how does the league structure work uh obviously every league seems to have a different uh, setup in terms of promotion relegation so how does it work in turkey it's pretty similar to uh to england to be honest and, and most of the european leagues um the bottom three clubs in turkey get relegated uh the top two teams in turkey automatically get promoted and um the uh third, fourth, fifth, and sixth place in the second division uh, fight for a playoff place. Okay. And the winner of the playoffs gets promoted. And unfortunately, Alton Ordu haven't quite made it yet. So are any clubs following this um, model, do you think this is picking up and could potentially be wider spread in terms of focusing on development of local talent? I really hope so. But in all honesty, I still don't think we're at that point yet. Um, I think... A lot of the the bigger clubs are still looking at the likes of Alton Rodu and saying, yes, it's nice what they're doing, but it's brought no success so far because they started this project in in Division 2 and they're still in Division 2. And uh, I think it's going to take some success to that extent for them to to become profitable and and for this to become more widely accepted in Turkey. Um, But again, you know, the... I mean, if we take, you know, the likes of Meri Demiral who is a, a centre-back at Juventus now. Again, he was raised in Turkey. He's a Turkish player. Um, he's you know not been raised by any other football system. 
um, and he was in Fenerbahce's academy. But he was told by Fenerbahce he wasn't good enough, so he he left to go to to Portugal. Actually, he was picked up by Sporting Club de Portugal's uh, academy system, and uh, and played for a couple teams in Portugal before he's eventually made it over to to Juventus. Now, uh, I think he was at um at Sassuolo in in Italy as well. Just before that, he's still only twenty two or twenty three years of age, but uh, he's an incredible footballer. Yet it goes to show that he, he wasn't even afforded the chance to play in Fenerbahce's team and we've seen that as well with uh, Ozan Kabak who's a, a young centre-back who played a few games for Galatasaray um, and has since gone on to Stuttgart and then to, to Schalke now in Germany and um, you know again this lad's only about 20 years old and uh, he's an incredible player and the only reason he got his chance at Galatasaray um, was because of injuries to other players Um there's really not this accepted attitude to, to playing those younger talents um, because it's a big risk and, and the immediate success isn't, isn't guaranteed. I remember you sharing that with me, Josh, in the past. I think you said last, you know, last season in particular was quite an incredible uh, season in recent years for the yeah. Super League. And you were saying how you might have some incredible talent in the wings, but they just won't play them because yeah. they need success now. And, and people just aren't patient. Is that very much the case? Absolutely, yeah. Um, last season was a bit of a, a crazy season, as it always is in the in the Turkish league, to be honest. But, uh, <laughs> so. um, I mean, historically, um, in terms of the actual competitiveness of the league, it's not been brilliant. Um, since 1984, I think the league title has only been won once by a team outside of the traditional big three. Um, and that was Bursa Sport in, back in 2010. So, so since 1984, the league has always been won by either Fenerbahce, Besiktas or Galatasaray, um, which doesn't suggest uh, brilliant things for the competitiveness of the league. But mm-hmm. um, last season was a bit of an, anom- an anomaly. And uh, we actually saw Fenerbahce engaged in a bit of a, a relegation battle for much of the season. Hmm. Um, these... Again, the the Erdogan's minnows, the um, Turkish uh, Istanbul Başakşehir, here, um, actually were in were at the top of the table for for most of the season. Um, Besiktas were also struggling in mid mid table, and we had the likes of um, this this small Turkish team uh, who really haven't spent much time in the in the top division at all. Yeni Malatyaspor. Um, were involved in in a bit of a title chase as well. It was it was a bit crazy, but um, if it hadn't have been for Bashak Shahir's late slip, um, I think they would have they would have won the title. But ultimately, because weren't they in first almost the majority of the season? Yeah, they were. Yeah, yeah. And they had a, a couple of slip ups at towards the end of the season, but oh, uh, no. yeah, ultimately Galatasaray ended up winning. How are they doing? What is the field like this season? Because I'm looking at it, Josh, and the top three that you're that you're mentioning, they're not even in first. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. what I noticed. Yeah. So uh, again, this is what's you know exciting um, for the for the league. Um, you know, we've we've seen the likes of uh, Trabzonspor and uh, and Konyaspor and uh, and of course Başakşehir recently um, take it to the big guys. You know, Trabzonspor have had a brilliant, you know policy recently of trying to incorporate more local talent, more local development. Uh, they've got a fantastic goalkeeper, Urjan Chakur. Um, they 
they, until this season, had um, a, a brilliant midfielder called Yusuf Yazidji, who actually just got a, a big move to Lille, and he's been doing well for them this season until, until unfortunately, had a, a season-ending injury. Um, and there's a young guy called uh, Omur, um, who, who's linked with Liverpool quite a lot, to be honest, and he's, again, only 19 or 20 years of age, and he's already played four or five times for the Turkish national team. And, uh, and Trabzon Sport have really been giving it a, a big go, a big push this season. And, uh, and they play quite good football as well. But as is always the case with, with these Turkish teams, um, when it comes to their competitiveness versus the big three, ultimately it's usually their squad depth that lets them down. Um, they don't they don't quite have the depth or the finances um, to be able to compete on an even playing field with Fenerbahce and Besiktas and Galatasaray. So um, as the season draws on longer, we usually tend to see them um, suffer as a result. Although this year, um, due to obviously the current world circumstances, mm-hmm. it might have allowed a lot of players to um, regain a little bit of their uh, of their heal up or their, fitness, their health yeah. exactly and their fitness so so maybe we'll see another Leicester City perhaps what, yeah what did what did Ranieri play he had what was it glow he had like 14 players he played for the whole season or something like that yeah I absolutely kept them going the entire it's amazing season. duct tape and super glue or something I mean he it was like the same lineup every match was impressive but when you say uh the the competition or the cup is truly spread out amongst the top three are there any other big fixtures or what are the traditional big fixtures in the super league for the season the season the season's big games yeah so again of course the uh the big three have by far the the biggest rivalry in turkey um when they play each other you know um in my opinion the the intercontinental derby between love that name absolutely yeah between Fenerbahce and Galatasaray. Um, in my opinion, it's the most intense and, and passionate derby in the world. Um, there's From really what I've read about it, I would agree. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I mean, there's so many historical connotations as mm-hmm. well. Um, you know, not only is uh, is it two different continents colliding in the same city. That's fantastic. You know, Fenerbahce from the Asian side of, of Turkey and, and Galatasaray from the European side. Um, you also have the historical connotations of kind of rich versus poor. Um, Galatasaray traditionally being the, the club of the aristocrats. And, uh, um, you know, Fenerbahce <laughs> um, being more of the, the working man's club. Um, not quite to the same extent, uh, but yeah, the, there's so much passion and, and, and intense rivalry behind this. And then we have Besiktas as well, who, again, are, were kind of the the ugly sister for quite a while hmm. uh, until they uh, they started throwing their weight about and, and they were taken seriously and, and the rivalry is just as intense between those guys as well. Um, I mean, you know, since the year 2003, I believe, the Guinness World Record for the loudest football stadium oh, has been fantastic. has been held by one of those three teams and they actually keep breaking each other's record. Um, so I think Galatasaray currently hold the record with 133 decibels. <laughs> Um, was the noise coming consistently from from the football stadium? Have you been to one of these matches? Have you attended one of these? I these haven't. Derbies? No. Um, Wouldn't that be incredible? I'd, it's absolutely one of my uh, my lifelong dreams. Um, but outside of of Istanbul specifically, uh, I mean, Turkey still has a, a number of big cities as well, um, and and there's rivalries all over the place. But um, you know, I mean, we have in Izmir, for example, uh, Gençlerbirliği and uh, and um, 
Alton Ordu is this kind of kind of young up and coming club. Mm-hmm. Um, we have uh, you know Antalya Sport and Alanya Sport, and, and uh, up in the north we have a uh, Trabzon Sport, and and there's a smaller club in in the city in eighteen ninety one, I think Trabzon, um, which goes to show again just how long these clubs have have been going for. Is there a measure of some of these clubs outside of Istanbul? Is there a measure of trying to sign one of these big name players to to put themselves more not only on the map locally but also internationally? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um unfortunately for a lot of the the club presidents of the lesser successful teams and the lesser known teams in Turkey, um they see it as a way of of being able to announce themselves to the world. Um Interesting. you know, I mean I remember when I was a kid um a, the club of of Turkey's capital, um, Ankara Gücü, um, actually signed the former England striker Darius Fasel. Hmm. And when he arrived, and I mean, this was a, a player who was well past his best. Um, I think he was playing for a, a relegation battling Manchester City. Um, was barely getting any game time and was a was really struggling in England. You know, he was a a player who was well past his best. And he signed for this Turkish team, who aren't one of the big three. And he was treated like a god when he arrived. The The videos of his arrival at the airport are absolutely insane. And that's kind of what Ankara Gücü were known for at that time. You know, they had Darius Vassell, who didn't perform particularly well in the league, to be honest. Um, he didn't really do anything noteworthy, but they had made this incredible coup by signing this, uh, this England international. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so, speaking of internationals, I mean, you mentioned Trabzonspor's success this year. Alexander Sorlot, he couldn't even get a game in with Crystal Palace, right? And yeah. here he is, he's top of the goal-scoring charts. Is he actually <laughs> that good? Yes and no. Um, I mean, I, I watch him and I think he definitely has something about him. He seems like he's a he's one of those players where, under the right manager and the right system, um, he's, he's definitely in... You know, he could definitely produce great things, but ultimately, um, again, I think it goes to show um, the. It gives another win to the haters in a, in a way of, of the Turkish league, where they can point out and say, "Well, this guy's a flop in the Premier League," and, and I see look, what you mean. look okay. how well he's doing in the Turkish league. So it now, further expands that narrative, eh? That you're it hearing? does exactly, okay. and and that's a bit of a shame for me because. He is the end product of a fantastic Trabs on Sport system mm. where the mm-hmm. the whole club has been rebuilt over the past few years to incorporate a different philosophy um, and a, a different playing style so that they're able to uh, produce you know these these end results and and there's a lot of goals come from their games um, as a result and and Sorloth has has fed from that but their uh, their head coach is is Hussein Chimshir and and he's uh, he's done fantastic things recently and um, has incorporated this system to to thrive. Yeah, I'm always looking for some new and exciting talent, both coaches and players to watch. What does the are there any exciting talent in the Turkish league that we should be keeping an eye out on? Some up and coming coaches. Up and coming coaches. Yes. Um, <laughs> again, it, it's a it's a difficult point of view because of the 
of the demand for for such immediate success. Um, there's there's not a lot of of patience throughout the league and throughout the um, the supporters, as as I've mentioned before. Um, I mean, we we saw uh, Abdullah Avji, who is the uh, the manager at Bashakshi here again. You know, produce these these incredible results, uh, and and with this with this team. Um, over recent years, where um, you know he he took these minnows of Turkish football to to the Europa League and then to the the verge of Champions League qualification, um, kind of out of nowhere. But as is the case in Turkish football, whenever one of the big three teams sees you know somebody else doing a doing a good job, they say, "Well, we want a bit of that." And and so he he made a move to Besiktas. Um, we had Aykut Kocaman, who was doing a fantastic job for Konyaspor a couple of seasons ago, and uh, Fenerbahce weren't doing so well, so they said, "Okay, we'll have him instead." And and there's not a a lot of chance for these young coaches to really develop. I mean, I think the current Galatasaray manager uh, Fatih Terim, um, he uh, is a bit of a legend in Turkish football, and he he was the uh, the manager of uh, of Galatasaray's UEFA Cup winning squad in in the year 2000. Um, but he's since come back to be Galatasaray manager, and I think four or five occasions, which just goes to show, like the the, you know, the current regimes are a bit scared, perhaps, of of trying to of of trying out these new exciting coaches. So um, when the younger coaches start to try and make an impact and and try perhaps a different philosophy, um, they're not awarded the chance because they often end up at one of the bigger clubs who have far less patience and, and far less time for them to to employ that, that strategy, that new philosophy in the club. Yeah, I think that is pretty true across many of the top leagues. Uh, there's a, absolutely a shorter leash that is afforded to coaches. And I was thinking that perhaps one of the effects that we might see with the current world situation is... Uh, because of the financial restrictions, not having much day receipts and everybody really having a tighter budget, we might be able to see coaches and teams get a bit more creative and less inclined to just uh, high and fire as they will. Do you think this could be the case or how do you see broadly the current wild situation with COVID impacting the league? I really hope that the Turkish clubs as a whole um, take a look at their, their current models where all of these clubs are, are year on year hemorrhaging money. Um, they they keep trying to outspend themselves and outdo each other so that they're in a position where they're able to, to A, qualify for the Champions League, um, which is the real moneymaker. That's, you know, completely outweighs um, any potential financial impact from uh, or financial benefit from winning the Turkish League. And... Uh, and second of all, they um, they they are able to to take a look at the the perhaps hidden gems that they have within their own clubs. You know, Turkey has an abundance of of young talent and an abundance of of young guys who are desperate to to make their way into the game, and uh, they're not afforded that chance very often. And um, and I really hope that you know the current situation might actually have that inverse effect. I don't think we'll see anything this season. I think uh, the coaches and managers will be desperate to finish as high as high up in the table as possible. So again, unfortunately, we won't see many uh, young guys being given that chance. But um, 
moving forward, there's not as much room for them to, to splash this cash anymore. Uh, and so, yeah, I think we'll see, hopefully, uh, an increase in the, the number of, of local talent uh, featuring for the clubs. You know, um, hopefully that could be moving the thing moving forward. Uh, but you mentioned that the Champions League is the big money maker, and in Europe and in other big leagues, the other big money maker are the TV money. Is there a comparable aspect? What is the other second biggest source of revenue for clubs in the Super League? Yeah. So again, outside of the big three, who rely so much on um, their national pull. And the, the national reach, you know, they their their ticket sales, their merchandise sales, the the big sponsorships and advertisements that each of those three have um, throughout the com- throughout the country. I mean, it sounds a bit surreal to describe it to anyone who's not familiar with Turkish football, but genuinely, if you go to any part of Turkey outside Istanbul, you can go to any city, and although there are some big traditional clubs, and maybe. You know, this doesn't apply as much to the likes of Trabzon or or Bursa, for example. Um, but if you go to to any big city and you ask the ordinary man on the street um, which football club he supports, ninety nine times out of a hundred, he's going to say one of those teams. And it just goes to to show the complete national dominance of those teams so they get all the Mm -hmm. sponsorships they get all the tv deals the advertisements the merchandise sales everything and so the teams in and around them um don't have as much (laughs) uh opportunities and, and don't have as many options to be honest so they have to kind of think outside the box in ways and and unfortunately sell a lot of their talents to the those bigger clubs um, in order to to sustain themselves and then occasionally make a go for for that final European place as well. Josh, is, hearing your passion for Turkish football and for the the scene over there, it's it's evident for sure. And I'm sure the listeners, I know for Glow and I, I'm sure I just can't wait for my chance to get to visit your country and to. <laughs> I've only been at the airport. I know. (laughs) My wife actually, when she did the whole, you know, backpacking and you rail pass through Europe, she, she did say many times how Turkey was probably her favorite spot. And, um, certainly be, be following this league more, but, but Josh, we do have to ask, we got, we need to test how close your allegiances lie. Okay. (laughs) So let's say, you know, and this may be a topic for the future, you know, the Newcastle takeover, but okay. So Newcastle's in the champions league final, as is your Turkish club, okay? okay? Yeah. And forgive me, you said it's Fenerbahce? Fenerbahce, yeah. yeah. Okay, so th- so here you are in a situation, probably for both clubs, it's iconic for both, right? Who do you support? Who are you cheering for in that final? I would have to I would have to cheer for Newcastle. You would? Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm still a, a Geordie boy at heart. Um, <laughs> although, you know, it would certainly be a very dividing day. Yes, it would. Um, my dad would absolutely be be cheering for Fenerbahce and yeah. uh, you know it would I mean it would be one of those bittersweet occasions for sure but um, I mean you'd probably be happy either way wouldn't you yes yeah but um, I would yeah I'd, I'd, I wouldn't want to ever be in that position of course I mean of course I want to see both of those teams in the Champions League final um, but yeah that would, that would be a bit of a killer okay so similarly World Cup 
Turkey and England, or for that matter, your new home, Canada. So where where do your where do your allegiances lie? You know, at the end of the day, who's this, team? You, you got that silky accent, right? So I mean, that's well, that's true. <laughs> so this, where where would you where would you uh, who would you support? This is a question I get asked a lot by by football fans I meet around the world. I mean, um, I am very proud to say that I'm a fan of both, um, just as I am with Newcastle and Fenerbahce. Um, you know. I was actually in France at the, the European Championships in 2016, uh, attending all of the English games and, and you know, following Fantastic. England, following my That's team. Awesome. But at the same time, um, you know, I was there cheering for Turkey as well. Um, and on the days where Turkey played, I was there in my, in my Turkish jersey as well. Um, but ultimately, and, and, you know, my passion for football came primarily through my dad. Uh, and of course, uh, you know, I was brought up in a, a football mad area in the northeast of England. Um, but my national team, the team I always wanted to see win was Turkey. Interesting. Uh, yeah. And uh, that really hit home, particularly at the World Cup in 2002, when Turkey had actually made it further than England. Mm-hmm. And then again at Euro 2008, when England didn't even qualify. And that was just at the age where I was starting to really get into football. Mm-hmm. in Euro 2008 and uh, you know England hadn't qualified and I was devastated as a young lad you know I wanted to see all my favorite players play and um, but then you know my dad was ecstatic because Turkey had qualified and he said well it's okay you know you know my dad and all his friends all his English friends and um, we're all going to be you know donning the Turkish jerseys and and supporting Turkey throughout the competition and I just developed a, a huge place in my heart for the uh, for the plucky underdogs the comeback kings as they were in that tournament um i think they went behind in every single game and came back to to win in some incredible circumstances and um yeah it's a it's a very difficult question but i think um if it really came down to it world cup final turkey against england um i think i'd have to go for turkey you, you would you would you would cheer for Turkey, but you'd be wearing your Geordie shirt, wouldn't you? <laughs> with with uh, Emre Belazolu on the back. That's awesome. <laughs> you could do the Boateng family, where you just have like half a German flag jersey and then have. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. That's awesome. It's like best of both worlds. Well, thank you so much, Josh. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be back with some more side the line asides. Sounds good. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Football Asides. This is Sideline Asides, a segment in our show where we give you a peek into the footballing questions and matters that are keeping us awake at night. (laughs) (laughs) So for today's segment, uh, Josh will be joining us and we're building our perfect footballer. Uh, How this works is we each pick uh, a trade of a footballer, a footballing quality and trade that we think is most valuable, and then pick a football that embodies it with the hopes that together we can build the perfect footballer. So it's like build a bear, but like for footballers, which might end up being more akin to Frankenstein's monster <laughs> once this is all done. <laughs> but you get the gist. Awesome. Uh, Dan, would you like to start us off with a valued footballing trait? Sure. For yeah. this team that we're building. Sure. So, Josh, I knew you were coming on today. And uh, like I said before, there have been a few Turkish footballers that have really caught my eye. And a few years ago, especially for Bayer Leverkusen, Hakan Çalanoğlu, 
Mm-hmm. His free kick ability is phenomenal. And if people haven't seen this guy, just look up his YouTube highlights. He's pinging this in from all over the pitch, no? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Is, is he highly regarded amongst the Turkish community? He, yeah. Um, there's, a, a again, a, a huge backstory to Charles Honolu's uh, involvement with, with the Turkish national team. He actually had a, a, a two-year spell where him and Omer Toprak didn't actually uh, play for the team for reasons involving um, a player dispute with a, a different player and a gun and being held at, at gunpoint and, and all sorts. <laughs> but uh, wow. that's just another day in, in the wild sure. world of Turkish football. Um, but in terms of Turkey, yeah, he's been there, especially in the in the, in the past few years since the, the demise of Arda Turan, he's been the real poster boy for Turkey. He's been Interesting. the guy that everyone pins their hopes on and, uh, and you know, to, to lead us to glory. Yeah. Um, but as a free kick specialist, he's he's incredible. He's, um, like I've heard people, some even say a couple of years ago at least, that he was up there top three in the world. Yeah. And I would say, so I, I love a good free kick specialist. He's the guy. He's going to be on the set pieces, okay? And, uh, or at least he's going to bring that trade into our perfect footballer. And for those FIFA fans out there, he's 90 rated at free kicks out of 100. <laughs> like, that's incredible. Yeah, and that's actually his lowest rate in, in, in recent years as well. It used to be even better. It was? Oh, well, there yeah. you go. <laughs> he's, he's for Milan now, right? Yeah, he plays for Milan now. And, and one of the issues with Chalhanol has always been that he never quite seems to nail down a position. He's okay. not quite a... He's not quite a 10. He's not quite a striker. Exactly. And and yeah. he, he gets played out on the left a lot, but he has no pace. He's, he's a very slow guy and he relies <laughs> a lot on his uh, on his technical ability. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, it's it's been a bit of a, a struggle for him, but it's great to see him at a club like Milan. Over to you, Josh. What sh- who should we... Uh, what trait should we add to this footballer? Well, I was going to stick with the Turkish theme, actually, and uh, and go for one of my all-time favorite players, uh, Tugay. Tugay Kerimolu, who played at Blackburn and at Rangers and at Galatasaray. And uh, if I could pick a, a defining quality in a player like like Tugay, it would be his nonchalance. You know, his, <laughs> his sheer ability to just walk around the pitch, walk around the pitch oh and, and not really not give two hoots about, you know, whatever's going on because he just had the most incredible ability. I mean, I've heard stories that he would, um, he would come off at half time and now all the players would be, would be, you know, completely out of breath and trying to recover and, and talk about the game. And he would walk into the showers and have a cigarette at half time, <laughs> and he'd be having a smoke. Mm, and, Mauricio uh, Sari would love him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they could be buddies, eh? Yeah, exactly. And um, I mean, this is a guy who played at the peak of his ability in the Premier League until the age of 39, I think. And uh, there's a there's a great quote by um, by Mark Hughes, who was the Blackburn manager at the time, and he said, "Don't don't you wish Tugay was was ten years younger?" And he said, "Absolutely not, because then he'd be at Barcelona." Um, this is a guy who could do everything in is football, right, eh? but he he played the game like he didn't try, like he didn't care, like it was his job. Yeah, you know, I've got a football game today, so I better get on with it. Gotta go to the office today. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I, heck. You know, for these set pieces, then he's going to step up to them with just that nonchalance, no, no pressure, hey? Well, I guess so. Um, but to, <laughs> to, to provide a more relatable example, I mean, maybe it's kind of along the lines of, of Andre Pirlo as well. Um, okay, who, yes. Who gave a, you know, Beautiful. had a similar attitude. Yeah. 
Oh, okay. So I am off by a little bit. I did not go with the Turkish theme. <laughs> no worries. No worries. But I'm going to count this as we're diversifying our football player. So I think a valuable quality is uh, spatial awareness and generally footballing intelligence. I think that is the hardest. I think it is quite the hardest skill to teach, in my opinion, to a young footballer or to just being able to teach them how to see space, see it correctly and improvise on the fly. So with a player, I, the, the trade or a player who I think embodies this trait particularly well is I think Kevin De Bruyne does a fantastic oh, job, at, which pains me as a United fan to recommend <laughs> <laughs> a City player. Yeah. But he is truly yeah, just seems to player. see like eight different things happening. And I'm sitting on the couch watching the game. I, I don't see the pass and I can see the entire field. It's so true. It's unbothered. It's, like, it's amazing. I swear one of the days they're going to find out he's got these like contact lenses with the view that we're seeing from the yeah, bird's so eye. Google glasses on. <laughs> Seriously, like he, his through balls, it's like four players are out of, you know, out of the match through his, it's incredible. I agree. So, yeah, I think we've built off perfect footballers. So soon, I don't know, big clubs, please hit us up. We solved it. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. I also want to give a small shout out to, uh, to Matt Ritchie's screaming. <laughs> oh, he's, that's uh, hilarious. Yeah. He's the loudest footballer I have ever witnessed, both in person and on the TV. And I, I think it would be great if uh, if our Frankenstein's monster footballer um, had a bit of, of Matt Ritchie's shouting ability inside him because it can it can really help to to get the team going when things aren't going too well. Maybe they should sign him in those Turkish derbies, make it even louder. <laughs> oh, Matt Ritchie would be the perfect player for, <laughs> for a Fenerbahce outside dog. He's, yeah, he's still a bit young, but I think we could also use uh, Holland's just interview skills or lack there. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Fantastic. So good just... <laughs> okay, my last shout out then. I love a good... I love chess technique. I love it when players can just like use their chess as an extra passing or, you know, control. So we got to, you know, shout out to Fellaini. The guy, he doesn't oh, and even... his hair. We need to well, bring his hair as well. And <laughs> you know what? We'll take his hair with it, right? And why not? We got to stand out. But it, what was... I remember watching some uh, some interviewer and they were t- asking about it. Like, you're literally using your chest when you could have used like any other part of your body. But he's like, yeah, I just, I think with my chest first or yeah. something. Mm-hmm. It's true, eh? The guy just does not... It's funny how he continually uses his chest for every touch. Absolutely, especially when he was at Everton. He was a fantastic player. I'd never seen anybody with with quite his playing style. That's so funny. Yeah. (laughs) Any other last traits we should add? None of us picked anything that could be. (laughs) You could pick just about anything from Messi or Ronaldo. Yeah, Yeah, his left foot uh, would be nice to have, you know? Yeah, Messi's left and Ronaldo's right foot. That's not yeah. a bad combination. Have you guys heard of this player? Now, we we didn't mention strength. I have to shout out to League One because obviously I'm following it more than I ever have with Sunderland being in it for two years now. Adebayo Akinfenwa. Have you guys seen this guy? Yeah. His physique. <laughs> 38 years old. He's 86 kilograms. Um, I mean, he's... what? Are, what? what can, the videos of him doing his workouts, eh? Have you seen this guy, Josh? He's an absolute machine. The, I've the never strongest. seen a bigger footballer. I think he's year on year the strongest player in the in the FIFA game. Um, just a, ninety-seven strength monster. in FIFA twenty. <laughs> ninety-seven out of hundred. Yeah. Where do we think Adama Traore would be there? Because he just looks like a tank. But he's also like really fast, so it's just true. a yeah. bit of a confusing thing for me in my mind. <laughs> like it doesn't make sense. He should not be this fast. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's if, a- 
if Adama could could work a little bit more on his final product, he'd be one of the most incredible players in the world. I agree. He has Did improved you... this season, so hopefully he keeps that upward trajectory. Did you both know that he uh, he doesn't actually do any weightlifting? He's never lifted any weights in his life. So they well, say, right? Yeah. I mean, he can. Do... I'm just now terrified to see what he would do if he lifted. <laughs> Could you imagine? He probably is one of those guys, much like uh, Josie Altador, right? Where he actually needs to be careful about putting on too much mass, like too much bulk. Mm, yeah, that's fair. So fair. maybe working out is like you have to be very mindful about how much weight. I would you lift. love for someone to tell me that. It's just like we actually don't need to do any exercises. We're right? so worried about you. I know. <laughs> so good shape. Oh, I know. Can you imagine, eh? Josh, it's been just a real treat. We thank you so much for coming on and uh, joining us today. Again, your passion for Turkish football, and uh, I know myself. Like I, I'm going to be following it a lot more closely. Looking forward to to when they restart. Do you have any idea when they're going to restart? Um, I think they're talking about mid-June, and uh, okay. there's, a, there's a, a meeting on Wednesday, I believe, um, Wednesday the, the 27th, so yeah, in, in a few days' time, so um, hopefully we, we see it come back before long, but Turkish football is never the same without the fans, so yes, I, of course. Yeah, I'm still counting down the days till we see um, Turkish football back to its, its full, Absolutely. brutal and, and unexpected best. Well, hopefully, you know, we here in CONCACAF uh, can, will treat you well and you'll find a few more Turks to celebrate with, hey? <laughs> yeah. And I who knows? So. Maybe one of these MLS teams will sign a, a Turkish designated player. Exactly. Yeah, who knows? Maybe the Whitecaps will bring you on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. Well, thanks again, Josh. It was, it's been wonderful picking your brain. And as Dan just mentioned, we're all thrilled to know more about the Turkish game. And hopefully some of our listeners learned so much from it. And we can all like, start following and have better and bigger conversations about the league. Perfect. Thanks so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. All right. Uh, thanks, everyone, for joining us for yet another episode of Football Sides. Do stay in touch. Do give us a review on wherever you listen to your pod. And we're on Instagram. We're on Twitter at Football Sides. <laughs>